Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we're going to talk about some of the things that you can do to take back control from your endometriosis. And I feel like when we take back our control from our endo, in many ways we're taking back our power. All of the things that we're going to mention today are things that I've done myself. And of course, there's so many things that you can do that we're not going to talk about in this episode. Our idea is that this episode can help people who are newly diagnosed or people who have been living a long time with endo who are looking to do something empowering or maybe just feeling overwhelmed about all the steps that we can take and just not sure about where to start. Now, endo has no cure. Oh, I know. Still no cure. As of this recording. <laughs> hope for the future. If you're listening 50 <laughs> years in the future. We hope Well, hopefully it won't take that long. <laughs> yeah, please. But if you're listening 50 years in the future and there's not a cure, keep advocating. Yeah, raise hell. Keep advocating. <laughs> <laughs> keep raising awareness. There's no cure and it's also chronic. Oh. And ultimately, endo sucks. <laughs> it absolutely sucks. It's horrible. It's devastating. It's painful. It's all-consuming. And... That's really the simple and easy way to say it is that it sucks. One of the truths of The truths of endo (laughs) is that it blows. But we just wanted to be very clear that this isn't about healing endo because there is no cure. And it's not really about managing endo. Although some of these things may actually help you manage the endo, that's not the point. It's about taking back control from what is controlling us, which can be the symptoms or anything else surrounding the endo. For me, one of the worst things about living with endo has been this feeling of just being so out of control. I think it's really hard when our body is hijacked by endo. My bowels were out of control for years with all the chronic diarrhea. My periods have been out of control since the first period with the debilitating pain. The fatigue is out of control no matter how much we sleep. It's so hard, at least in my case, but I think for a lot of us, it's just so hard to get back that control of our body that endo in so many ways has taken away from us. And because of all that, I also think my emotions have been out of control and not because of hormones. Out of control because it is so hard to cope and to deal with living with such severe symptoms for such a long time. I have been so angry at times and so depressed, and it's just also been an emotional roller coaster. So I want back my control. Over these 16 years of living with endometriosis, I have been able to take back control in so many different aspects of my life, and it has been difficult, and it's taken a lot of time to learn. 
But in many ways, I have been able to empower myself and take back that power and take back that control from Endo. And that's what we want to talk about today, all these little ways that we can take back our power. So many of these things we've actually talked about in their very own episode, or we've gone in depth into them in other parts of the podcast. But we wanted to make it a goal to have these really impactful ideas and tips all in one place. So we put this list together as part of an end-of-the-year summary. Oh my god, can you believe this podcast has been going on for one full year? No, that's fake. That can't be real. I cannot (laughs) believe it. I remember one year ago when we were starting the podcast and recording the first episode. Now we're here one year later. One year. You know, when Brittany and I started the podcast, we weren't sure how sustainable it was going to be to run this project in addition to both of us have full-time jobs and, you know, we both have our health problems and endometriosis. So we weren't sure if we were going to be able to keep this going. And the fact that we have run this podcast for an entire year (laughs) and we have plans to run the podcast at least one to two more years. We want to thank all of you so much for being here for the ride with us for a full year and listening along to all the episodes and reaching out to us and also just watching us grow over the last year. I went back and I listened to some of the first episodes and I was like, oh my God, we sound like little babies. Little we babies, were so, unsure like, of we ourselves. We were nervous and, you know, I mean. Speak for yourself. Okay, no, I'm just I was nervous and I lacked confidence and I had this like nervous laugh like, hey. And now I'm like, ah! <laughs> now she lets her real laugh out. You know her real laugh now. You now. Might, yeah, the <laughs> cackle. But it's been so rewarding to do this project and to have this podcast. And we just want to thank all of you so much for being part of this community and for listening to the podcast. Also, we want to mention, since we have been with this a full year, if you love the podcast and you haven't given a rating, we would love if you could rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people know the show's value. And then if you wanted to make a financial contribution to the show, you can go to in16years.com and you can look at our support page and you can, quote unquote, buy us a coffee, which will be a $3 donation that will go to covering the cost of running the podcast. On to the tips. Brittany, how do we take back control from or of hmm, our endometriosis. <laughs> well, luckily, we have a nice list of various ways we can do that. So this list consists of tips that almost anyone can do to help with their endo. We acknowledge that we're all living in different cultures and different socioeconomic situations and personal circumstances. So most of the things that we list aren't endospecific, and we hope that they are accessible to the majority of you listening. So the first thing that we want to mention, but it actually didn't make the list, but we're still going to mention it. It's a preface to the list. Yes. (laughs) It's like the prologue of the list. We wanted to point out excision surgery as a tool to treat endometriosis. We talked in depth about excision surgery in one of our previous episodes, which was called Effective Treatments for Endometriosis. So definitely recommend that you listen to that episode if you have not already. I think for a lot of us with endometriosis, excision surgery is ultimately that 
icing on the cake that can really help us diminish or even get rid of a lot of the symptoms that we have. Excision surgery can really help us with our levels of pain, with our levels of inflammation, with our levels of fatigue, with co-conditions that might be linked to our endometriosis. In my case, it, it really helped me with my IBS. It really helped me with my fibromyalgia. But we understand that not everyone has access to excision surgery. And certainly, I didn't have or even know about excision surgery for the 16 years that I was struggling with this illness that I wasn't even diagnosed. So we wanted to mention this in case someone is listening and they're new to being diagnosed or they're not familiar with excision surgery. So we want to point out that this is a really powerful and useful treatment if you have access to it. But if you don't, or you're waiting to have excision, or you're not sure when or if you're going to be able to have excision, then we hope that this list can prove helpful to you. So this list is based on things that I did to take back control and to try to manage my symptoms in the 16 years that I didn't have excision. And I think for many of us, we are told before we're diagnosed, we're told over and over by the doctors, there's nothing wrong with you. It's all in your head. In that voice. Detrimental lies. Like the doctor actually talks. Like they talk normal (laughs) and then they're like, oh, I'm going to give you a diagnosis, Amy. You're like, oh my God, thank you so much, a diagnosis. And then they go, there's, and they change their voice. And you're like, where is that squeaky voice (laughs) in there? Why is it like they're talking to an animal or a child? (laughs) There's nothing wrong with you, It's all in your head, sweetheart. I'm sure it's really hard, but it can't be that bad. Don't worry, pumpkin. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's the thing, like. I think for for me and for a lot of us, then we had to we learned to rely on ourselves. And so all the things that we're going to talk about, like Brittany said, they're pillars of health and they're things that you can do if you have endo or not to just try to take back control of your health and your well-being and, and get that optimal health and that optimal wellness and that optimal I just want to keep saying optimal. Yeah, you really that like that word all of a sudden. Happiness. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the point is to try to be optimal, optimal with every aspect, <laughs> no pressure. So the first tip we have is to educate yourself. No. Yeah. But what if I don't like learning? Well, when you're learning about something that could affect your quality of life. I think it's a different kind of learning than sitting in class learning about some useless, frivolous facts that don't matter to anybody. Oh, good. So I'm not going to learn like the circumference of a triangle. Oh, my God. (laughs) Maybe you need to go back to school. (laughs) Do I? Do I really need that knowledge? Nobody needs to give you a B plus or an A minus. This is all about learning things that can actually help you and are applicable to your life. So you mean learning is fun? And learning is power. And there's so many different ways to learn because you can learn from books if you like reading or if you're like, no, you can learn from audiobooks or you can learn from podcasts like this one or you can learn from documentaries or support groups or on Instagram among the endo community. There's so many different ways that we can learn and empower ourselves. And we can also do this at whatever stage we're at in our endo journey. 
Yeah, there's so much to learn that even if you're just a freshly diagnosed person with endo or suspecting you may have it, or you've been diagnosed for years and you know a lot about endo, as we have learned, there's always so much more to learn and new research comes out. No matter at what point in your journey you are, there's so much information out there. And another rabbit hole that I've been going down for many, many years has been the rabbit hole of nutrition and food science and how does food affect the body. Another thing you could learn more about is sleep. Like taking naps or? No, like how to have good quality sleep because that's a pillar of health. (laughs) Something that I'm learning about right now that we're going to do an episode on soon is your circadian rhythm, and how that affects your health in so many different ways. You could also take a deep dive into your emotional health and look at mental health and how it's being affected by management of your symptoms or by your stress level or by your sleep level or by your nutrition level. Mental health plays a big part in managing endometriosis, so that could be something really great for you to learn about as well. There are so many things that we can learn about for our health. I think the road to optimal, my new favorite word, to (laughs) optimal health, it's in the decisions that we make every day. And a lot of the decisions that we make are based on the knowledge that we have. And so the more that we educate and empower ourselves and just learn about how to exercise, how to eat, how to sleep, how to manage our stress, how to keep your thoughts from just running wild on you, how to have balanced emotions, like how to have a better relationship. There are just so many things that we can learn and keep empowering ourselves on. There's so many rabbit holes that we can go down and and you can just learn and take back control in so many different ways of your health. It's so important to educate yourself specifically about endometriosis because there is so much misinformation out there. So much misinformation. So much. It permeates everything. I feel like this illness is characterized by pain fatigue and lies and misinformation (laughs) (laughs) well it's really tough because as endometriosis is gaining visibility there are so many articles and social media and other people who may be misinformed that that information is out there and it's not correct a lot of times even incorrect information is coming from a lot of doctors oh yeah i mean there's a lot of outdated theories that doctors still think are true and base their treatment off of those and it can be really harmful to us So a lot of times Amy and I will read something and we'll say, that's not even accurate. Why are they talking about that? Why does that article say that? So as we've become more informed, we're able to then be more aware of the information around us. So I think ultimately the reason why Brittany and I put this one first, even though we said that the episode is in no specific order, but perhaps this one is the one that I at least give the most importance and the most weight to. And that's because with information, we can make informed choices from a place of confidence. And this is a really different place to be making decisions from than making uninformed choices from a place of fear. And unfortunately, a lot of the decisions that I made about my health and the way that I wanted to manage my symptoms and the medicines that I wanted to take were decisions that were based from fear, were decisions that I made where I was uninformed and I was scared and I was desperate. 
And then later, I regretted making those decisions when I had more information. So we just think it's really important that we make our decisions on our health based on a place of knowledge and not from a place of fear. So our next tip is finding support. And since you're listening to this podcast, you've already started this step. So that's awesome because finding support can be one of the most useful and sometimes one of the most difficult things to do. It can be really difficult because some of us don't have support from our friends or family, and either they don't understand what we're experiencing because they're not able to, or they don't have the capacity to, or we have judgment from our friends and family, which can be really an additional challenge to deal with on top of not having support. Or disbelief. Criticism. It's exhausting when you're already having to deal with endometriosis and having to explain yourself to people who should just innately understand and support you. But that's not everyone's reality. It wears you down when you're suffering so much, and then the people that are in your lives that are important to you, your loved ones, or or even just people that you see on a daily basis, like coworkers, for example, and they just have that constant judgment or disbelief. It's just another added layer to all the things in in our life that are so challenging and it just taxes us emotionally. I think finding support is twofold. One, it's actually finding the support, but the other half is letting go of relationships that are toxic and take away from the energy that we have, which is limited because it's endo. So I think getting support, there are some really great places to find support. The first is our community. I mean, you're already listening to us and Amy and I both support you and we love talking to you when you reach out to us. And there are so many other great, fantastic members of this community that have been supporting each other. So it's a really great place to find support. You can find support in the most surprising places, like at work where Amy and I found each other. I know. (laughs) So sometimes you just have to do a little bit of digging to find your right people. But on the converse... There have been people in both mine and Amy's life that have not only not supported us, but have exhausted our resources. Actively brought (laughs) us down. Actively not supported us, which we've had to say, bye-bye. Not worth my time. Yeah, and, and that can be really hard because saying goodbye to toxic relationships is a thing that everyone should be doing, not just people in the endo community. So it's hard for everyone. So I think especially because we don't have all unlimited energy, it's really important for us in addition to boundaries to set those relationships to the side so that we can focus on ourselves. I think one of the best places for me to get support has been the endo community on Instagram. Before I met Brittany, I really didn't have a lot of support in my day-to-day life and my daily interactions with other people. One of the best things that have come out of social media and technologies has been the ability to find other people who are going through what you're going through, who are suffering in the same way that you're suffering. And so you don't have to explain yourself. What a relief. And you can talk about, wow, my fatigue was so crippling today. And 30 people will chime in, me too. And we're sending you so much love. I mean, it has been such a nice way to get support after so many years of not having support. And you can do that, too, with Facebook or there are support groups, there are forums, there are face-to-face meetups that they could have in your city. 
There's so many ways to get support, and that's really wonderful that technology could enable us to do that. So our next tip goes hand-in-hand with finding support, and it's talking to someone. And this could be a mental health professional, a respected person in your life, a counselor. But wait, Brittany, what if I don't have anyone in my life to talk to or, you know, a mental health professional is not accessible to me because I don't have insurance? The bane of existence of all of us. (laughs) All the Americans understand. (laughs) I would say that the next best person to talk to is, drumroll, yourself. (laughs) Well, how do I do that? Do I just walk down the street mumbling to myself? I mean, you may not want to do that. But you could do it inside your head. <laughs> can I talk to my cats? Yes. Oh, All right, could. then I know who I'm going to go talk to tonight. <laughs> no, you... Come here, Suki. Mommy wants to tell you about all her problems. She's like, meow, but feed Please me. Please don't. She's like, feed me first. I'm like, no, if I don't feed you, you'll be captive. You'll sit here. I'll captive the, audience. I'll have the spoon in my hand with the food. <laughs> She's just staring at me the whole time. I'm like, Mother, you listen so if you're so attentive, little Suki. <laughs> my little She's like, kitty. Yeah, I'm starving. It's been three hours. <laughs> <laughs> She's not even run out of breath yet. <laughs> yes, you could talk to your cats. But a really great option that has been really useful, I know for you, Amy, is journaling. So what exactly is journaling? Because I feel like we hear all the time, like, you should journal. Yes, I journal. So to answer your statement, yes, I do a lot of writing. Like, I write all the time on my computer. I just open up Word document, and then I just start typing. And I just type whatever comes to my head, and I type, and I type, and I type. And then sometimes after I'm done typing, I don't even save the document. I just X out. get it out. (laughs) Yeah, and sometimes I save it. I'm like, ooh, that was kind of insightful what I said or like I worked through. I want to read that back later. Yeah, or like I worked through some kind of emotions so that I'm like, oh, wow, like, yeah, I want to I want to keep that. I want to be able to like maybe come back and look at it in a month's time and kind of reflect on like what I said and the feelings that I let out. But then sometimes I'm like, no, I'm just just <laughs> typing, quote unquote, talking, but like talking in my head, but like typing to just get out everything. And I personally hate journaling. <laughs> so that's not the only option. I actually do talk out loud to myself, but in the comfort of my own home. And sometimes I'll just talk out loud like I'm talking to somebody, like I'm telling them everything and I'm also listening to what I'm saying. And it helps me to work through whatever I'm dealing with. So there isn't only one way to do it, but talking to yourself can sometimes enable you to draw your own conclusion from the situation. Because ultimately, the purpose of talking to somebody, whether that's a friend or a professional or yourself, is to work through whatever you're dealing with. You have to face the feeling or the emotion because otherwise it just sticks with you forever. And that can really, really impact your emotions and your physical well-being. I think it's really nice when we talk to someone or when, like in my case, when I type it out, because sometimes all of our thoughts are going through our heads so quickly or we're like, we're maybe not even having thoughts. We're just having a lot of feelings and a lot of emotions. And by actually taking the time to talk and put those thoughts together in a coherent manner, we can process them. I think it can be so nice to put words to a feeling. So sometimes when I'm just feeling so overwhelmingly sad, 
I just go to my computer and I just start typing about all the things that are making me feel sad and about the pain and about the trauma of my period and about the fatigue and about the frustration. Just suddenly all of these feelings are pouring out of me. And it's like in that moment, by actually fully expressing the sadness and like when I feel sad and I'm writing on my computer, I'm typing and I am sobbing and I'm getting snot down my face and I'm wiping on my bathrobe sleeve. I mean, it's it's once you pour out those feelings, they in so many ways, they stop having power over you. And one of the things that I started doing to try to take back control of the trauma and the fear that I felt around my periods after every period, I would go to my computer and I would type and I would type up how I felt and I would talk about myself in third person and how I watched this girl vomiting and crying. And then I felt empathy for her and compassion and I just, I would always start like writing a story about it. And after a few months of doing this, I don't know, it just started to lose its power over me. And so expressing ourselves and putting words to our emotions and getting it out, I think can help you stop being hostage to all of your feelings. And side note, I'm writing a book right now since we're talking about all my writing and all my thousands of pages. Literally. <laughs> Literally thousands of pages, but the book is not going to be a thousand, thousand <laughs> I, pages I said long. no to that one. I vetoed that idea. <laughs> <laughs> but I am writing a book right now. And when it is published, I will announce on the podcast. But a lot of it is from the writings that I have done in very severe moments of pain talking and reflecting about how can I cope with this devastating illness that is ravaging my life? How can I how can I cope with this? And how can I accept this? And how can I take back my power? And how can I move on from these devastating circumstances that I'm often faced with daily? And that is what the book is about. That, that should be the summary on the back. <laughs> <laughs> you just wrote it right then. <laughs> But if that sounds interesting to you, then that's what the book is about. So we will announce on the podcast when it is fully published. So our next tip is about changing your mindset. Uh, I know, I know. Major eye roll, Brittany. I know, I know. Change your mindset and you'll be healed and you'll fly. (laughs) I ain't saying that. (laughs) And Oh, if I change my mindset, will I turn into a cat and then get to sleep all day and then people will feed me and I won't have to go to work? Yes, because then I wouldn't have to hear you complain about how you want to be a cat anymore. (laughs) Well, then how do I change my mindset? Sign me up for that. Be a cat. Just be one with the cat. (laughs) There we go. Now, I'll finish the episode. Can you imagine just meow for the rest of the episode? (laughs) I mean, I don't think they'd be surprised by that. No, but when I say change your mindset, we mean that perspective can make a huge impact on how we approach a situation or how we feel about an experience. So are you talking about smiling all the time Heck no. and being really cheerful Heck and when people no. are like, how are you? And you're like, I'm fine. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Definitely not. But my vagina is bleeding and my yeah. uterus is stabbing no. me. No amount of smiles or fake cheerfulness can diminish how difficult and painful endo is. So absolutely not, not talking about fake positivity at all. Well, then I'm not sure I know how to change my mindset. Well, good, because we're going to talk about it. So we all learn how to approach situations or think about the experiences we've had because we've learned how to approach them or think that way. There's so many different mindsets and ways of thinking that exist in the world. It's limitless. 
So changing our mindset usually, for us anyway, has involved learning about a new way to see the world and new ways to see what we experience and new ways to shift our perspective. So this recommendation to change your mindset, it can sound so vague and so difficult to actually apply to real life because you're like, okay, yeah, change my mindset, change my mindset. Well, how how on the earth do we change our mindset, which like Brittany said, is something that we learned and is something that it's ingrained in us. Like our mindset is the way that we think and the way that we approach life naturally and on a subconscious level. So how do we consciously change our mindset to be something different? Something that really helped me was starting to read books about mindset and about different ways of thinking. I got really, really into Stoic philosophy. So if you are not familiar with Stoic philosophy, I'll give a small overview. A condensed version. (laughs) (laughs) I think a really good introduction to Stoic philosophy is a book called A Guide to the Good Life. And note that it's called (laughs) A Guide because it's this, it's really interesting. It's Stoic philosophy, but then it's like a practical application of how you can apply it to your everyday life. So if you want to have a good life, it's the guide to how to have a good life via Stoic philosophy. Don't tell me what it is. I want to know. I want a good life. In this moment, Brittany, it's a good time to practice Stoic philosophy. I can't. I need to know right now. Because Stoic ah! philosophy is basically this philosophy that teaches you that. You're going to tell me I have to let things go. Yes. It's like you have to let go of what you want. Which is to know right now. Everything. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. My perfection. <laughs> <laughs> you have to let go of what you want and you have to embrace what is. <sighs> wow, that did sound very philosophical. It did, didn't it? Wow. But it makes sense. A simple truth of life. What I like about Stoic philosophy is that, so it's not just this like airy, fairy, vague, let go of what you want. Embrace what is. It's a big practical application of this is also controlling what you can. So in the act of letting go what you want and embracing what is, you also make changes in things that you can control. So you're not resigning yourself to a life of pain or a life of fatigue. Like you you take action steps in the places that you can control it. But where you can't control something. That's when you just open the fist and you let it go. I'm clutching my fist right now. (laughs) Wait, well, open them, Brittany, and let them go. (laughs) So let me give you an example. Okay, so since I was 16 years old, when I first got sick, I have wanted, I think like many of us, I have wanted to not have endometriosis. I have wanted to have a life without chronic pain. I have wanted to have a life without being sick. I have wanted to have a life where it doesn't burn every time I go pee and it doesn't stab me every time I go poo. I have spent a really good majority of my life, I've spent over half of my life wishing that things were different than they are. But guess what? What? I can't have that life. Hmm. Yeah, I can't have a life without endo because the hard simple cold ugly devastating oh my. horrendous oh. 
awful. You unpacked your adjectives today. <laughs> and I just thought of all this in the moment. But... <laughs> she came with baggage. And they were a box of adjectives. <laughs> okay. First of all, endometriosis packed that baggage for me. That's fair. <laughs> but the hard truth, in a nutshell, the hard truth is that I, I have endometriosis. That is the hard truth that we have endometriosis. We have an illness that is incurable. And that's ugly. And that sucks. And it's chronic. And that's awful. But that's what is. And for so many years, this has made me feel angry, like really, really angry. And I've filled my computer journal writing system. I have filled that with so much anger and negativity and complaining and screaming at my computer. But what I've learned through Stoic philosophy is that If I stop fighting against that reality of, I don't want to have endo, I don't want to have endo, why me? Why do I have endo? This isn't fair. I don't want to have endo. By the way, if if you control find the words, I don't want to have endo in my journal, you'll have like 17,000 hits. That's not an exaggeration. (laughs) I saw it. (laughs) So when I stop fighting against reality, guess what? That frees up time. It frees up emotional space. It frees up physical space in my life to then focus on what I can control. I can't control the fact that I have endo. I I can't. No one can. But you know what I can control? I can control what I eat, which ultimately what I eat makes me sick or doesn't make me sick. I can control my routine around my sleep. I can control if I go for a walk or if I sit on the couch watching Netflix. (laughs) I love you. (laughs) What we want to do versus what we should do. (laughs) I want to sit on the couch and stay up late finishing that series. We can both relate. (laughs) I can control how much I educate myself about endometriosis and about health. You know, like we said, I can control whether or not I face my challenges empowered and strong and confident. I think as we discuss all of these things we can do to take more control over our lives with endo, Stoic philosophy is important because accepting what we don't have control over frees up a lot of energy to make us productive and give us drive to affect the things that we do have control over. In a disease that feels like it takes all control from us, being able to spend and dedicate energy on the sleep and the food and the exercise and the education and all of the other things that we can actually control, it can actually make a difference. Instead of spinning our wheels in the frustration of trying to change something that we cannot change, giving that energy over can actually help us to make a positive impact in our lives. And then I think ultimately that can help lead to that. I mean, already it's a change in mindset to say, okay, I'm going to embrace what is and I'm going to go after controlling what I can control. And then I think when you, like for me, when I started having this mindset shift to just be like, okay, I have endo, like I have endo. So what can I do about it? And In so many ways, this has also helped me change the way that I see endo and what it is. 
because I'm empowered and because I feel like I've taken back my control in so many facets of my life, I feel less scared than I used to. I feel less desperate than I used to. I feel less hopeless than I used to. I feel happier than I used to feel. I certainly feel less bitter and less angry. And I'm not, before I used to be so different, I used to lash out and I used to be so negative and I used to complain so much, which is part of the reason why I started that journal, my computer writings in the first place is because when I talked to people, they would always just tell me, you're so negative. You complain a lot. I was like, oh, but I want to complain. So who can I complain (laughs) to that won't then be like, you're negative. I don't want to be your friend. And hence, the computer journal writing was born because it never judged me and it never told me that what I said was stupid and it never told me that I was negative or I was making it up or exaggerating. It was just like my little safe space to be what I felt. And what's really interesting is that as over the years, I've been learning to embrace what is. I just feel like every time you say embrace what is, you have to say it. You have say to say it in a mystical voice. Yeah, you have to be really loved. Embrace what is. Every time you embrace <laughs> what is. But it sounds nicer like that. Yes, every it sounds time much more I gentle. Embrace what is. I have noticed over the years, like my writings have changed dramatically. I can just see how much I've grown over the years and how much I've been able to really embrace what is and have a better acceptance of this illness that I have and better acceptance of myself and my body and my life exactly how it is. Which sometimes it really sucks, by the way. (laughs) Fair. And it's helped me to let go of so much shame and guilt and resentment and bitterness and this heaviness in my heart And this heavy weight on my shoulders, this depressing weight of endometriosis. And I feel freer and happier than I've ever felt before. I think that ultimately seeing our experience in this life or endometriosis from a different perspective can help empower us and liberate us from the heaviness that is living with this disease. And that doesn't have to be Stoic philosophy. It can be any kind of philosophy or not, but any kind of shift of the frame of mind that allows us to accept what we're dealing with and accept what our lives are. And that way we can spend our energy improving what we can improve and ultimately leading to more freedom in our lives and more happiness. Now, we know that the philosophy we just talked about can be a little heavy. And at first, for both Amy and I, it was something that took a long time to understand and kind of make our own. But you know what's not super heavy, Amy? My cat? No, 13 pounds is pretty heavy for a cat. No, actually, it's not. (laughs) But for me, that sounds heavy for a cat. No. Excuse me. The female is nine pounds. The male is 13 pounds. He's a big boy. Yeah, but he's not fat. He's just like... A big boy. He's just... He's a big... He's a big cat. That's okay. No, not not the cats. Then I don't know. Humor! <gasps> oh, my God! And <laughs> just my cat. We just, okay. <laughs> Mostly humor. <laughs> no, humor's not so heavy. And something that Amy and I have spent a lot of time developing, which is our next tip, is learn how to 
embrace and have a sense of humor towards endometriosis. Well, this is a really good example of changing your mindset. Because when something happens, you can be like, I can't believe this happened. And you get angry about it, or you can panic, or you can freak out, or you can get sad, or you can get all of those things. Or you can laugh a lot. And the more you laugh, the more you'll finally actually believe it's funny. (laughs) Fake it till you make it. Yeah, so definitely for this one, sometimes you have to fake the laughter at first. And then once you start laughing, you're like, oh, actually, actually, it is funny that I pooed myself in a cemetery. All right. All right. We're going to laugh about this now. (laughs) I mean, it is pretty funny. I mean, it's pretty funny. Mortifying at the time, but funny after. Did you poo on a grave or? Uh, Almost. Almost. (laughs) Under a tree. I wasn't even in my own hometown or country. It was a lot. (laughs) No, I I think. Some ghost going to get vengeance on you. I mean, that's possible. I have felt a little haunted lately. (laughs) Every time you felt haunted, did it get a little stinky in the room? Yeah. Haunted by my past poos. (laughs) No, and and as I mentioned, like, it's the laughter after. Ooh, that kind of rhymes. Laughter after. Because obviously when you're screaming out in horrendous pain, you don't really laugh at that. So we're not saying, oh, yeah, in amidst your screaming, vomiting, and crying, also laugh. No, 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 no. We mean when dealing with the emotional repercussions afterwards. Amy and I have much prefer now to take a humorous approach versus... As you can tell from that approach? the content of this podcast. <laughs> Where we, we like frequently to laugh. crack jokes. <laughs> like it make a big impact on how I remember a certain experience or how I feel about something that we've experienced. By looking back on it and that happened, that's okay. I'm going to laugh about it and I'm not going to dwell on it. Feels much better than the converse. I think laughter and sense of humor is this amazing weapon that we can employ against some really difficult and terrible things that happened to us with this illness. And like Brittany said, it's not to say, yeah, just laugh at everything that goes wrong. And this is not to minimize how devastating this illness is and how much it ravages our lives. It's just to to try to take back some power over All of the emotions that can rise up inside of us, like anger and sadness. You know, that's why Brittany and I, we laugh so much when things go wrong is because. So I have this philosophy. As I've mentioned, I used to be really different and I used to be very negative and I used to be very angry and I used to be very sad all the time and complain. And apparently I wasn't a lot of fun to be around. What's changed? Oh, you're kind of a burden, Amy. Yeah, what's changed? I don't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> she's looking at me I'm in her utter indignation. <laughs> no, but she she's right. She is a very different person now. So how did I learn to have a sense of humor? Well, a long time ago, I saw the movie Stranger Than Fiction, Ooh. which maybe a lot of us have seen. But if you haven't seen it, then the main character, whose name is Harold... Which tells All you right. kind, of how, mean... <laughs> kind of how old the movie is. Yeah. Ooh. So the main character realizes partially through the movie that he is inside of a book and that everything that's happening to him is actually being written. So he's trying to figure out if he is the star of a comedy or if he's in a tragedy, because if he's in a tragedy, then really bad things are going to happen. But if it's a comedy, then even if 
bad things happen, then it's just it's all funny, right? And he's just going to react in a totally different way than if it was a tragedy. And then the ending is going to be totally different than if all the events are actually a tragedy. And so as his life is unfolding before his eyes from the pen of the writer, every time something happens, he asks himself, okay, does this seem like a comedy or does this seem like a tragedy? So I want everyone to know that I used to be the star of my own personal tragedy. Oh, such a movie starlet. (laughs) And I was a really good star of this movie in which I was the victim. A little bit of a diva. Oh, heck yeah, people. (laughs) Seriously, in this movie, people brought me lattes. I had my own trailer. I had a professional makeup artist. Oh, the dream. So I always looked incredible. Can I co-star in this movie? Is there any openings? I want my own makeup artist. And not anymore, Brittany, because the tragedy is over. Because now I've decided that I want to be in a comedy. And no, there's no makeup artist because it is a really low-budget comedy. (laughs) It's a B, right? Okay, so there's no more lattes. Not that I could have a latte anyway. (laughs) And... It's a comedy that at times is totally ridiculous because don't you feel like having endometriosis is a lot of times totally ridiculous? Yeah, it is. I mean, the movie's <laughs> name is Stranger Than Fiction, the, the movie I was talking about, but having endometriosis at times is stranger than fiction. That should be a tagline. Endometriosis, stranger <laughs> than fiction. <laughs> you couldn't make this crap up. Nope. <laughs> so here's an example of something that happened to me quite recently. Why don't we let the listeners decide if this is a comedy or a tragedy? Basically, I went on a week-long trip to see my family. And I had to take a plane and cross different time zones. And then we went to this rustic cabin. And I went to sleep. And I wasn't supposed to get my period for another week and a half. But then we all know I went on an airplane. Then I was eating different food. And I was in a different time zone. (laughs) And then Red Dragon, my endometriosis was like, I'm here, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Are we on a trip? You know, I like to come along every time. (laughs) Did someone send me an invitation? I'm like, no, no, no. No, no, I didn't write that. You were not invited. I didn't write that on the calendar. (laughs) Please, God, no. So I woke up to Niagara Blood Falls between my legs. And guess what I didn't have? Any supplies. No tampons. (laughs) No pads. Why couldn't you just go to the store? Clearly, Brittany has no attention to detail because I said we were in a rustic cabin. So what? Which means we were far away from civilization. (laughs) How far? Like hours? Off the grid, Brittany. Oh, oh, that rustic. (laughs) We were like an hour away from a gas station. Oh, my goodness. Okay, we were far. We were in the You were in the place that they make scary movies about. (laughs) Oh, God. I was a little bit up. When I saw the blood, I was like, does someone come in here with a chainsaw? Oh, just it feels my like it in my uterus. Yeah. <laughs> so no, we were pretty far away. Um, so it was kind of a long trip to go an hour to get pads at the gas station and then an hour to come back, a two-hour trip. So Even then, if they had them at the gas station. I, I know, right? Like, <laughs> do you have size five plus with the wings extra long overnight? <laughs> Because I need that. You don't carry, you just carry, oh, panty liner? That's not I'm gonna, sorry, no. Okay, I'm going to need, <laughs> let's see, I'm going to have to wear the entire box of panty liners. Uh, using so. a panty liner is like trying to mop up a lake, okay? That's not how this works. With a paper towel. <laughs> yeah, not how it works. 
So I asked my family who I was staying at their cabin. I was like, do you have anything? Do you have pads or tampons or just like a face cloth or anything (laughs) absorbent? (laughs) Do you have one of those towels that you put on your hair and then it sops up all the liquid in like five minutes and your hair dries really quickly? You know what I'm talking about? The super absorbent. She didn't have any of that. So what she did have from when her mother lived with her a few years earlier, her elderly mother, was diapers. Oh, no. Adult diapers. Oh, no. She's like, here, honey, why don't you just wear one of these adult diapers? They're really absorbent. I mean, she's not wrong. (laughs) So I did. Wow, making fashion breakthroughs in a rustic cabin with your adult incontinence diaper. (laughs) Look at you go. (laughs) I know, when I was wearing them, I was kind of like, well, I could pee in these if I wanted to. It's really easy (laughs) to just have a one-stop shop here. (laughs) Just do everything, throw it away. (laughs) Like, I don't need to go to the toilet. You're like, oh, just hold on. I'm just going to have a little little moment to myself here. (laughs) I'm free bleeding, so what does that matter? (laughs) I had to walk around all weekend with diaper butt. (laughs) Luckily, I always wear like spandex pants, like very loose, elastic, you know, like most of us, right? Yeah. but then, of course, you can see that even worse. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> so is she like this wearing a diaper? <laughs> Look like Donald Duck. Oh, no. But it started quacking randomly. Right? I'm like, rawr, rawr, talking in a weird voice. <laughs> I'm morphing. I'm becoming the diaper. My family's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. It's the diaper. I think it has got a weird toxin. And it's I feel a like I'm being being. It's taken over my brain. <laughs> So the point is, I mean, now we're looking at the situation where we're like laughing about me wearing a diaper. And I will admit it was really absorbent. Like, I I could consider changing to the diaper in my real life, maybe on the heavy days. But the thing is, that also could have been a tragedy. Like, if, I think if for me, for the Amy of 10 years ago, to get my period in this rustic cabin where there was no sanitary supplies, it definitely, I can tell you right now, it would have been a tragedy. I would have been upset that I had to wear the diaper. I would have been complaining, oh, it's so uncomfortable. I'm sorry. It was actually really comfortable. (laughs) Comparatively. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it was nice. It was comfortable. But it's really useful question to ask ourselves, is this a comedy or is it a tragedy? And even if it is a tragedy, we can ask ourselves, well, can I see this in a different light? Like, Even tragedies have comedic relief. (laughs) Even tragedies have moments of comedy. So even if currently your movie is a tragedy, you can still look at situations as that comedic relief in the middle of a tragic movie. Of course, there are some events that happen in our lives that are actual tragedies. And this is not at all to diminish those experiences, but rather the experiences with endo that we can have can be repeated or happen to us multiple times in various different ways. And they're often not devastating in the way some tragedies are. But because we see our whole lives under that lens, everything can feel so devastating. So taking those experiences with endo and looking at those under a more comedic lens can help our overall story have more happiness and comedy rather than our overall story being more sadness and tragedy. Our next tip is about creating routines for yourself. But routines are boring, Brittany. Uh, Okay, yes. 
But not these kind of routines. These are self-care and personal time routines. I'm listening. (laughs) I've piqued your interest. My ears are perked. (laughs) Like a cat. Because I am a cat. Because I learned Mm -hmm. that I could be a cat if I change my mindset. (laughs) That's not what that's about. (laughs) Debunked. (laughs) No, these routines are a space for self-reflection and to be with ourselves and a little bit of self-care. Amy likes to do her routine in the morning, and I prefer to do mine in the evening. And I'm considering switching to the morning because the morning is a really beautiful time. It's very quiet in the world, and it's a really nice time to be alone with yourself. She may have swayed me. We'll see. Well, what I like about the morning is even though when you first wake up, you might be kind of groggy. And yes, it can suck sometimes getting up early before work. And you're like, no, it's cold or I want to sleep in. But If you can actually get up and have that time for yourself in the morning, it's a time before anyone needs you. It's a time before you start your other routine of obligations, making your children's (laughs) lunches and feeding the cats and getting in traffic for the commute and then going to work and answering the emails and the calls and the questions and the, you know, it's before everyone is pulling at you. You you have your own time that you can feel anchored and grounded. It's a really nice way to start your day and set the tone of your day. And in the evening, oftentimes we come home and we're tired and we're fatigued and we had a really long, stressful day. And sometimes we just want to veg out on the couch and we're not, we don't have the energy to give ourselves this self-care or the introspection that we deserve to have. And these routines can be very different for every single person. And what brings Amy joy may not be what brings you joy or brings me joy, but what brings me joy may be something that brings you joy. So we're going to list a couple of the things that we've done in our routines so that you can maybe pick one and start with it. And the best part about these routines is that it's really a time for us to, like Amy said, set the tone, reflect, and be with ourselves and our thoughts for a little while. So for me, one of the routines that I have, I like to make sure to take the time to go sit out on my balcony where I live and just at night and be under the stars and be alone with nature and the breeze and the nice chill in the air is my favorite. I go and spend 15 minutes just sitting outside with my thoughts. Sometimes I'll be meditating. Sometimes I'll be just listening and trying to clear my mind, also meditating, but not official. And sometimes I'll read my book or do something that I enjoy doing, but I do that every single night. I'm always trying to find those 15 minutes to be alone with nature rather than, you know, taking my dog for a walk is one thing, but being alone with nature is something that I can do for myself to give myself time to be with myself and not be doing it for the purpose of completing a task. My normal routine is to do yoga in the morning, but after my surgery, when I was recovering, I I couldn't do yoga, so I lit a candle and I stared at it. (laughs) (laughs) Mobility was limited. (laughs) Yeah, the body did not want to move. The world is beautiful by candlelight, so if you can safely light a candle, just try it maybe one day, and it's very quiet. And the candle flickers, and so light a candle and just stare at that flame. (laughs) 
There are so many things that you can do for your routine. I think it's just important to have some kind of routine that you really do at a set time every day because when everything else is out of control in our life and when everything else is so chaotic and you just feel like you you can't count on the predictability of your body or how you feel or this whirlwind of life and it's complicated and There's so many obligations and responsibilities and there's so many scary things that we can live through with endometriosis that, like we said, we cannot control or that can just come up out of nowhere. And having the routine that we do, that we can count on, that is stable, that is there for us, that's so powerful and I think it's so easily overlooked because, like I know in my own case, so many times people have said to me, well, you don't have to do yoga every morning. I do. I do have to do my yoga. And Brittany does have to watch the sunset because that's something reliable that we can count on in our lives when everything else is unpredictable. Doing yoga at six every morning has been there for me. It's been there for me through the scariest, most terrifying moments of my life. Doing yoga at 6 a.m. has been there for me through the trauma of that pain. It's been there for me through the desperation of how am I going to treat my endometriosis. It's it's been there for me through breakups. It's been there for me through my problems and my stress at work. So I think, you know, no matter what you do, just having something that you do for you every single day, it can make a huge impact in your mental health and your emotional well-being. So, you know, don't overlook the power of, of something that seems so simple like a routine. Our final tip is taking control over your food choices. I feel like those are the words diet change in disguise. (laughs) I mean, they kind of are, but really the diet change is just something you do. But taking ownership of your food choices is the emotional and mental impact behind that. So what I mean by that is in this disease where everything feels so out of control, Taking ownership and fully owning how I choose and what I choose to eat can really make me feel like I'm in control of how my body reacts to things. Because I can't change how my body reacts to it, but I can change whether or not I choose to allow my body to have that reaction. Ooh, Brittany is practicing stoic philosophy in this moment. Oh my goodness. Learning. (laughs) But I think one of the most empowering things for me was. Not thinking of it as I have to change my diet and I have to remove all these things, but more as I've decided to take ownership of these choices so that I can reclaim how my body feels when I eat X or Y by not eating it or by eating more of this instead of that. It gave me more empowerment than feeling like I was missing out on something. If we're to embark on changing our diets and, you know, trying to figure out what what we want to put in our bodies, because first of all, ultimately, food does affect how we feel. Like food has a chemical reaction in our bodies, like it or not, unfortunately. (laughs) Unfortunate reality is food does stuff to us. (laughs) So if you're thinking about diet change or you're wondering what kind of foods might be good for your body good for your endo, you know, what kind of foods are anti-inflammatory. And we know that endometriosis is a disease that can cause us very high levels of inflammation in the body. Oh, it loves inflammation. Inflammation. 
And we also know that food is a driver of inflammation in the body. And that's personally why I have chosen to follow, and a lot of other people with endometriosis have chosen to follow their own version of a diet with an anti-inflammatory focus. So there's a lot of different things that you can explore if you're looking for a place to start. So we definitely just recommend doing some research, maybe having a food journal, like seeing what works for you. I think one of the hardest parts with changing our diets or being intentional with our food choices is when we choose to eat something that we typically wouldn't. And I know this goes for both Amy and I that it took a lot of work for us to not feel guilt or shame around eating something that we typically wouldn't. And we both kind of came to the mutual realization that if I'm making the decision, it's me and my body and I've chosen to eat that food or make that choice, then I own that choice. And there's nothing shameful. I should feel no guilt about making the choice that I have made because A lot of times the reason we feel that way is because of the viewpoint and judgment of others or the harsh, critical viewpoint we take with ourselves. And I think we are so hard on ourselves as humans sometimes, and dietary choices shouldn't be one of those things that we scrutinize and judge ourselves for. Because ultimately, when I make a decision about myself and my body, it's my own decision. And nobody else can tell me it's the right or the wrong one. And if I choose to eat that gluten-free cinnamon pecan sticky bun that I baked with a labor of love because it's Christmas morning and I want it, I should be able to enjoy that decision instead of feeling anger or guilt or shame that I've made it. Because there's nothing wrong with eating that. There's nothing wrong with eating something that I have decided to have, just like I've decided to eat whole vegetables or eat nuts and seeds or eat a lot more olive oil and avocado. Mm. Just like I've decided to eat those things, there's nothing wrong with the decision to eat something purposefully and intentionally. And I had to learn to not feel ashamed or feel guilty for making that choice. So all of these tips ultimately are about us finding ways to regain little bits and pieces of control amidst a disease that makes us feel like we have no control. Now, we didn't do all of these things at once because that'd be really overwhelming. So Amy and I picked these up along the way in our quest of life. And so you can start anywhere and with any amount of them or anyone you want. And of course, they build up over time. So the more that you establish your routine or the more conscious you are about your food choices or the more aware you are about your feelings, the better you'll get at it and the more effect it will have. I think the most important thing to remember is just to not give up. You know that saying, and they're like, Rome wasn't built in a day. Mm -hmm. But it's true. Rome wasn't built in a day, and it was built brick by brick. I mean... Stone by stone. Yeah, I don't know what kind of archaeological (laughs) plank by plank. But, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. And our health, whether we have endometriosis or not, it's it's not built in a day. It's a path that we walk on. Sounds so philosophical. But (laughs) our health is in the decisions that we make. And like we said, none of these things, if you do them, they're not going to heal your endometriosis. They're not going to cure your endometriosis. But 
They may help you manage your symptoms. They may help you feel better about the situation that you're in, about your personal circumstances, about the life that that you're living. You know, they might help change your relationship with yourself and your relationship with endometriosis. And that can be really empowering. So I think just remembering to keep going to choose one of these things and decide to commit to it. Maybe commit to staring at a candle every morning for 10 minutes. Commit to reading an article every day or a blog post about health. It's baby steps. I think that can be very frustrating. And I know when I first got sick, I was really, really, really sick. It felt really hopeless and I felt really scared all the time and really desperate and really angry. And now when I look at myself, it's been 16 years later and my life is really different and I still have endometriosis. Thank you. I'll have that forever. And I still suffer, but it's in a much different way than I used to because I have more control over my life and I have more control over how I feel. And I've also figured out things like I figured out what my triggers are through trial and error. And I'm able to take control and ownership, like Brittany said, of my food choices, of how much I sleep, of whether or not I meditate, of the things that that can trigger flares in me. Amy truly has come so far in those 16 years and even in the past year, two years, three years almost five years that I've known her. <laughs> and I just think about how how these seemingly little or small changes can add up over time to be a massive shift. And think about how awesome it will be to make one small change in your life and look back a month, one year, five years later, and see how different your life is now than it was then. And I think all these tips as we talk about regaining control over our lives, it's ultimately deciding to live our lives rather than allow endometriosis to live it for us and deciding every day to make steps to let us regain control over life is one of the best decisions that we can make for ourselves. So we hope you were able to take away something from this episode. We'd love to know what you've done to try to take back control of your life. What has worked for you? What hasn't worked for you? As always, we would love to hear from you. We are on Instagram at in16yearsofendo, and we are on the website in16years.com. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us and for being part of this community and for just being your amazing self.